Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Rise and shine, wake up everybody, or good morning, good mid-evening, good mid-afternoon, all my night listeners, welcome to Body of Christ Real Talk. Welcome to the show, hello everyone, welcome once again to Body of Christ Real Talk. Real talk, real talk. What's the real talk going to be for tonight? What is the real talk message going to be for tonight? Okay. For my uh, listeners, the ones that have been listening to my previous shows, you know I I just started a new series uh, called Spiritual Obesity. For the ones just tuning in, I'm doing a series called Spiritual Obesity. Now, to get more information about this show, what what the think of what this show is about? Let me explain a little bit to uh, to my new listeners what this show is about. Like I like to uh, put a little disclaimer out there for my listeners, and what do I mean by that? I mean uh, I use the term spiritual obesity as an allegory, or some people might say a metaphor. I, it's not in the Bible. It's nothing that has been uh, biblically proven or scientifically proven. It's just an allegory or it's a metaphor that I use uh, describing the struggles and the traditional struggles that brings error in the body of Christ. Okay. Now, the ones that uh, don't understand a breakdown of allegories to make it more plain the allegory is basically two stories using allegories is basically two stories that you use one is a made up illustrated story more like a fictional story the second story is the meaning of the story one is a fictional story to explain the real story so that's basically what allegories is basically used for when you use it. so allegories can be used for good or bad in the church I'm going to use it for uh, 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 illustration reason why okay for illustration purposes illustration purposes why I'm going to use allegory so the allegory that I'm going to be using or you know, allegories, metaphor, metaphor, whatever you want to call it, is spiritual obesity. See, I'm using uh, a, a physical diet, physical obesity in a spiritual way. So the spiritual obesity is the allegory, it's the fictional, it's the fictional way, it's the illustrative way. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? It's the illustrative way to describe to describe a real meaning of the struggle traditionally in the church with all the false doctrine that goes on in the church. Okay, so those are the ones that want to know what I'm doing. And that's why I call it spiritual obesity. It's kind of like physical obesity. I just done a, a 10 program, very long show, 
hopefully this one doesn't be that long but it's more important than a physical diet about uh physical obesity and uh the, what is the real diet this is going to be spiritual obesity and what is the real church what is the real sound doctrine in the church okay that's what I mean so I'll be used that's why I use spiritual obesity okay got that through there now my first program uh was out the other day I done it uh yesterday and if you want to just uh which I, I recommend you to go check out that program first you know before you even go through this program but if you if you just start off on this program it's okay but also if you want to hear about the physical diet the high protein low carb diet which I would be using uh those terms allegorically and for the church for the, the uh spiritual for the church i'll be using those certain terms so you'd be somewhat familiar what i'm doing if you continue to stick with me of this this teaching on uh, spiritual obesity okay to put it plainly there's a lot of traditional uh a traditional doctrine in the body of christ I'm talking about believers, the saved. There's a lot of traditional, uh, traditional sound, not sound doctrine, but traditional doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching whatever they're being taught in their church and the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is so divided uh, in different buildings of the church, which they call church buildings, which in term is called denominations, you know. And uh, so, therefore, you have several denominations, several denominations. There's thousands of denominations and a body of Christ, the saved, are really split up in these different churches, different assemblies, buildings, different denominations. OK, so when you hear me use the term church, the body of Christ, I'm talking about the real church. I'm talking about the organism. I'm talking about body of Christ as Christ being the head of the church in a spiritual sense. <clears throat> and then you hear me use the term church building or the fall the four wall buildings of a church. I'm talking about denominational churches. Okay. So I'm throwing it out there so you know, just in case somebody just tuning in and not getting what I'm talking about, that's what I'm talking about right there. All right. Okay. I was listening to this program, uh, this young man the other day. I think he's from the Church of Christ. <laughs> Which I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let you listen to his audio video. Uh, what he has to say about why there are so many different, so many different denominations. Now, just check this out. I would like for you to do this, saints. I would like for you to do this. <clears throat> Go to YouTube or Google. Google why there are so many denominations or where the all the denominations start from. You will get all different concepts and information, but the majority of them will come from the same history of it. You know, from Martin Luther and Calvin and all them, the majority of them will start that way. So if you want to know something yourself about how the, all the denominations, the different type of churches, if that's more plainly for you to understand, start it, just Google it. Or you go to YouTube and you can find out all the information on either or Google, YouTube, or even DuckDuckGo, the new search engine, which I like, you know, but it don't give you as much information as Google, but it's more safer than Google, in my opinion. Okay. 
<clears throat> so if you want to know something, I, the reason I'm saying it because I want you to follow up these things yourself because a lot of these churches we was brought up in, we around the world, because I know I have international listeners listening to me, we was brought up in and we might be part and you might be part of. I'm not part of no uh, denominational church now, but I was. And you might be part of one of these denominational churches. That's why I said if you are in a denominational church, not an independent church, but a denominational church, whether it's Lutheran, whether it's Methodist, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's Methodist, whether it's Presbyterian, whether it's Baptist, whether it's Church of God in Christ, whether it's uh, Seven Day of Venice, whether it's, uh, you know, just whatever, you, you get the point. You get the picture of what I'm saying when I mean denomination, denominational churches. You know, there are so many. There's uh, universal churches, there's the uh, apostolic churches, you know, uh, there's the oneness churches, you know, different things like that. So, so many thousands of denominations. There is over 38,000 denominations around the world. 38,000 denominations. Did you know that? You could Google that. I'm sure you probably will get different numbers because there's different numbers out there. So this is one of the numbers I heard this young man just say. But there's many ways to look this up and you will come up with different numbers. There's so many denominations really... I believe that nobody, I don't care who you are, when you search the data, you cannot get the right number because there's always another denomination coming up. That's how a masterful Satan has divided the church. See, now the majority of these churches are unsaved people. They're just church goers. Okay, but even in these churches, you have they're just church goers. Now, all denominations don't have no body of Christ believers in it, say people in it. So I'm, I'm not talking about every church, but it's hard to find out which ones because you got your, you know, you got your uh, conservative churches, you got your uh, somewhat Christian churches, Protestant churches, you got your liberal churches, you have homosexual churches. Now you have all type of churches out there. But I just want to basically focus on certain churches that's well known that somewhat people call themselves part of the church. Those churches I just named, you know, besides, uh, besides the Catholic Church. You know, besides the Catholic Church. The, uh, because back in history, <clears throat> After the death of the apostles, the apostle Paul and the death of the other apostles. And then it got all twisted and everything like that. The Catholic Church, <clears throat> which was birthed out of uh, Constantine in Rome, the Catholic Church, was the church then. That was the start of the first denominational so-called church, the Catholic Church. And that was way before Luther and everything, you know. The uh, Catholic Church was a predominantly dominant church coming out of Rome back then, you know. So I'm going, I'm trying to get past the Catholic Church. But what I want to do now, before I go any further, I want you to listen to this documentary. It's only 23 minutes long. And I want you to listen to this documentary called Explaining Protestant Denominations. Explaining Protestant Denominations. And in this documentary will break down the beginning of the Catholic Church. Now, it's not, it's not the full breakdown because that would take hours, you know. And, uh, but you will have some type of basics or some type of foundation how 
the denominational church has started, but it's only 23 minutes of it. It takes more time than that. There's so much to uh, the spread of the denominational uh, different churches in the world. Okay, so but out for now, in, without any further ado, I'm going to let you listen to this documentary, documentary 23 minutes long, 23.39 seconds altogether to be specific or precise. That's how long this documentary is. It's born. It's going to break down uh, the beginning of the Protestant denominational church. Protestant in specific. Protestant is any church that's not Catholic. You know, stuff like that. So we just talk about the Protestant church. What is the Protestant churches? This documentary will break down what is the Protestant churches, like the Lutherans, the, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, and whatever like that. Those are known as Protestant church, which was uh, started from the birth from 1500s of Martin Luther. But I'm not going to uh, go through that right now. I want you to listen to this 23 minutes and 39 uh, second documentary. Then I'm going to just give you a little critique on it. And I'm going to talk about, you know, uh, what's going on here, you know, myself. So here it is. This is called Explaining Protestant Denominations. Okay. Welcome to I Am Your Target Demographic. On this channel, I try to explain things that might be confusing or tricky to navigate. I've found success with covering religions, such as Catholicism, Mormonism, and even Scientology. Today we're going to cover Christianity, but specifically how the different denominations of the religion are different. I'm going to dive deepest into Protestant sects, so we're not going to cover Catholic or Orthodox groups. While these denominations are mostly Protestant, some wouldn't self-identify as Protestant. Now as a heads up, this is going to be a superficial look at these denominations. Look at how long this video is. It'll be surface level, but hopefully a decent look at what separates and unites these groups. I also want to say quickly that this list won't cover every single sect of Christianity. It's a massive list. There are many different belief sets, but I'm going to do my best to cover a diverse group of them. So if you're already lost, let's briefly cover what the term Protestant means. In 1517, a German theology professor named Martin Luther challenged the policies of the Catholic Church, which was dominant at the time. Luther never intended to split away from the church, but rather, he wanted to reform the church from within. The biggest problem he saw was the sale of indulgences, the idea that one could buy their way into heaven by paying more money here on earth. Money, incidentally, that went to pay for Michelangelo and the painting of the Sistine Chapel. The sale of indulgences rested on the authority of the Pope to decide Catholic doctrine, rather than on the Bible, which led Luther into conflict with him. In 1521, Luther and his protesters were excommunicated from the Catholic Church. In response, Luther burned the letter excommunicating him. The people who followed Luther and those with different problems who followed after were called Protestants because they protested the Catholic Church. So here we begin our discussion on the first denomination in this video, Lutheran. Martin Luther described Christianity through what he called the five solas, the Latin word for alone. He believed that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by his sacrifice on the cross alone, as told in Bible alone. He rejected the idea that we could earn our way into heaven through paying money or performing good deeds or believing the right things. There is nothing that a human being can do 
to impress a perfectly good being like God. Therefore, God became human in Jesus Christ to unite humanity to himself and to save humanity from the deadly consequences of its own sin through his own death and resurrection. This is the gift of God's grace, which Luther believed we receive through the gift of faith. To Lutherans, faith is not believing in the right doctrines or making an intellectual decision for Christ, as some Protestant sects believe, but rather, faith is God initiating an intimate, trusting relationship with him. But to know the story of Jesus, one has to be able to hear it. Besides indulgences, another of Luther's problems with the Catholic Church was the insistence that the Bible could only be read and recited in Latin, the language of scholars. He translated the Bible into German so that the common people could read and hear it for themselves. Luther also believed that clergy people should be allowed to marry, and that priests, monks, and nuns were not an extra special class of holy people. Any honest work done well was holy work, whether it was making shoes or tilling fields. With these exceptions, Lutherans still worship much like Catholics do, using many of the same forms. Lutherans still practice the baptism of infants like Catholics do, and believe that Christ is truly present in the bread and wine of the Eucharist, or as some people might call the communion. What Lutherans ultimately rejected is the idea that the authority of human beings is higher than the authority of the Bible, and that human authorities have the right to put rules and barriers between people and God. Around the same time, we have John Calvin, a French theologian who also parted ways with the Catholic Church and had some differences of belief with the Lutherans. Specifically, the Lutherans held on to the idea that the Eucharist was actually and literally the body and blood of Christ, whereas the Calvinist point of view is that Christ exists in the elements alone, alongside the bread and wine. They both believe that Christ is present, as opposed to other denominations that we'll talk about soon, that view this tradition as a symbolic gesture only. Calvinists also believe that God has predestined things to happen. If someone is saved, it is because God planned for them to be saved. And any choices we make in this process are because of his ultimate choices. We believe our sin is such a burden that we cannot pursue salvation without God's intervention and allowance. There is a handy acronym to help understand what Calvinists believe called TULIP. Let's go through it quickly. Total depravity points to the notion that we are full of sin and even more so dead. God of his own power can save us. We are unable to do it alone. Unconditional election means that God chooses who receives salvation. The fact that it's unconditional means that both the good and the bad can receive salvation, regardless of their acts. Limited atonement means that not everyone will be saved. God has foresaw this future and decided already who will be saved. Not everyone will or can be. Irresistible grace means that if God chooses to give salvation to you, you will have no choice but to pursue it. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. There's only one road into Key West, but you won't believe where it can take you. Travel back in time to a city rich with history. Discover amazing artists and musicians. 
taste seafood fresh off the boat, or just kick back and soak up the island vibe. For more about Key West, visit flakeys.com. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. And lastly, we have preservation of the saints. This means that if you are truly a Christian and truly want to embrace salvation, that God will never let you perish and will hold you close forever. Now let's transition away from Calvinism. While these denominations separated from the Catholic structure of the church, let's talk about Anglicanism, represented in the United States by the Episcopal Church. This church embraces what is called apostolic succession, meaning that their bishops have a succession line going back to the original 12 apostles. Anglicanism as a distinctive tradition traces back to St. Augustine of Canterbury, the first Catholic bishop in England. Lowercase Episcopal is used to describe any church that still uses this lineage, but we're talking about the uppercase Episcopal and Anglican churches here. Like the Catholic Church, they have parishes and dioceses throughout the world headed by bishops. Comedian Robin Williams said this about the strong similarities between the Episcopal and the Catholic Church. Yeah, I'm an Episcopal, that's Catholic light. You know, same religion, half the guilt. In terms of beliefs, they are often described as following a via media, or middle way, between Roman Catholicism and other Protestant denominations. After breaking with the Pope, the leaders of the Church of England selectively incorporated beliefs from the Continental Reformation into Anglican doctrine. They believe in grace alone and their special importance placed on baptism and communion, though they also acknowledge other sacraments from Catholicism as well, though not seen as required. Episcopalians in the United States especially are mostly known for their progressive social stances. They've long fought for a higher living wage for everyone and had an active role in the civil rights movement. They're also one of the only Christian denominations to allow same-sex marriage, if their presiding bishop permits it, and most do. LGBT church members are also eligible to be ordained as priests, with the first being Ellen Barrett in 1977. The first openly gay bishop was appointed in 2003, Gene Robinson. This was a divisive move in the church, and he even wore a bulletproof vest at the ordination following several death threats. As the Episcopalian branch split off, so did what we now call Methodists. This denomination is based on the teaching and writings of two brothers named John and Charles Wesley, who traveled from the UK to America to be missionaries to Native Americans. Now this failed mostly, but it strengthened their conviction, and they returned to England preaching salvation to all, which was against the Calvinist viewpoint of God preordaining who would be saved. They also used the term new birth which has slowly evolved into what we call born again, though this term is used by all sorts of Christian groups now. The Wesleys and their other leaders in the movement also found themselves stretched too thin, and they focused on training and ordaining normal people to become pastors and teachers, again breaking from the more traditional denominations that focused on structure and power. Something else that the Methodist churches were known for was to focus on hymns, with Charles Wesley writing over 6,000 hymns in his lifetime. Churches weren't usually very musical at this time, so this differentiated the church then, but it continues to be a major factor in their worship services now. But this is a much more relaxed feeling, as opposed to the Anglican slash Episcopal churches. They do retain the structure of bishops that preside over certain areas, so they'd be classified as Episcopal with a lowercase e. We're now going to transition to the Presbyterian Church. 
This denomination eventually splintered from the Church of Scotland. In terms of belief, they usually aligned with Calvinist points of view, including God's predestination on who is saved and who is not. Presbyterian churches can dramatically be different, so you might find this thought in some churches and not others. They differentiate themselves from other denominations by focusing on a confessional type of tradition. They use statements such as the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed to reaffirm their collective beliefs. They believe strongly in the community as a whole over the individual. This also connects to their focus on allowing all members of the church a voice, allowing all changes to go through a voting process with the general membership. Most higher-level church administration are elected into those positions. We're now going to cover Baptists, which is quite a varied group but united under one common belief, the rebuttal of the infant baptism and preference of the believer's baptism, usually for adults who find salvation. They also stress complete immersion during baptism as opposed to sprinkling. While they stress that immersion is the only way to be baptized, they don't see baptism as necessary for salvation, but rather an act that we should do to show the world our faith. The other thing that makes Baptists somewhat unique is that they don't have a central authority. Each congregation tends to have autonomy. They might be connected to organizations that give support or offer fellowship opportunities, but these congregations are all self-governing. This makes the label of a quote-unquote Baptist church somewhat tricky, as each congregation might have a different way to worship or a difference in belief on certain points. There is no overarching body or set of documents to bring these churches into alignment. Predating the Baptist denomination is the Anabaptists, which also rejected children's baptisms and instead focused on adult baptism. The difference between the two is really about culture, as the Anabaptists reached far further into history than the Baptists. The Anabaptists began in the late medieval ages, about 1500. Since this belief set is so old, it's hard to trace its origin, and there are even multiple theories on how it came to be. During these dark ages, we do know that Anabaptists were persecuted for having counter-opinions or even tortured and executed to try to stifle the movement. Anabaptists have now been split into many denominations, including groups like the Amish, Hutterites, and the Mennonites. The Amish and the Hutterites are mostly direct descendants of their original counterparts, so are considered ethnic groups, while the Mennonites have incorporated many new members into their congregations. All of these groups have a strong community and cultural aspect, including traditional clothes and even the dialect of their old homeland. The Amish, for example, formed from a schism of Swiss Anabaptists. They still read prayers and sing in German, but some of them speak what's called Pennsylvania Dutch. Now, there are some sects of the Anabaptists that have come into the modern age and have culturally assimilated. While some still reject modern technology and live in relative isolation, even today, the core tenets of believer's baptism, nonconformity to the world, and a focus on pacifism are still stressed in most Anabaptist communities. There is a group that shares some of these values that might be confusing for the average person, and that is the Quaker population, who also prefer plain clothes and refuse to participate in war, though they differ greatly from the Anabaptists. The Quaker movement began just after the Protestant Reformation as a man known as George Fox began to teach that you don't need an intermediary or a priest to commune with God. The actual movement was called the Religious Society of Friends, or Friends Church for short. They have a strong emphasis on missionary work, which spread the church throughout the world. The most recent account says that 52% of Quakers are now in Africa, 
likely due to these missionary efforts, specifically to countries like Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda. While the number of Quakers are relatively low, they have drastically different belief sets across these congregations. There are very traditional groups and very liberal groups and everything in between. One unique thing about the Quakers is their stance on communion or the Eucharist. For a long time, the Eucharist in other churches was only prepared and served by men in the traditional churches. And the Quakers believed that women had every same privilege and right as men. So they denied taking the Eucharist out of principle. They've come to replace it with the idea of sharing meals together, similar to the Last Supper, and believe that Jesus can join people in that moment. Today, modern Quakers have generally assimilated into the larger culture in terms of dress, though there are a few that are drawn to live the old Quaker way and isolate from the world in certain ways. Now we're going to transition to one of the more sensationalized sects of Protestant Christianity and start discussing what it means to be Pentecostal. Being a Pentecostal Christian falls under the umbrella of what is called Charismatic Christianity, a group of denominations that arose from a movement in the 1800s called the Holiness Movement, where Christians started to break off from other sects, most often Methodist churches, and tried to become more in line with the literal biblical scripture. Charismatic churches, and specifically Pentecostal churches, emphasize spiritual gifts much more than the other churches, or at least maybe emphasize spiritual gifts that are maybe underemphasized in those churches. One of these gifts is the speaking. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. ...of tongues, which is where someone might speak in a language that is not understandable. What this language is or what it means is hotly debated. Some churches believe that the speakers are speaking in an ancient language that we've forgotten or is no longer used, while others believe the language is that of the angels, of heaven itself. There are other people in these churches who typically have a gift of understanding tongues and can translate what is being said. Speaking in tongues is an uncommon practice, so it's often hard to believe it when it's happening, even for believers. Pentecostal Christians also engage in some other unique practices, such as potentially handling snakes, which is to prove that even dangerous animals cannot harm those doing God's work. These poisonous snakes do often bite the speakers, and sometimes the speaker even dies, though it's usually claimed to still be God's intent. The number of churches that still use snakes in their sermons is very low, even among Pentecostal churches. The third big difference in how you might have seen or experienced Pentecostal churches is through their belief in healing. Often held in large tents as the church traveled and evangelized and healed the sick and crippled. They believe that with enough belief, even normal people could conjure up miracles with God's power. While not scientifically proven or disproven, there are many testimonies of healing actually occurring in these situations, enough to encourage its continued practice. These three things, the speaking of tongues, the snake handling, and the healing of the sick are the most sensationalized acts of the Pentecostal churches. But like all denominations, it differs greatly from church to church. There are many Pentecostal churches that don't do any of these things and look very similar to other denominations. Another form of Protestant Christianity that you've at least heard of 
is being an Adventist. There are many types of Adventists, but we're really going to dive into the largest portion of this pool, the Seventh-day Adventists. While some denominations differ from church to church, the Seventh-day Adventists have an overarching organization, the General Conference, which includes the Office of the President, housed in Maryland in the United States. This governing body makes all large decisions, including debates on scripture and administrative decisions for the church. Why they're called the Seventh-day Adventists is that they believe that Saturday, not Sunday, represents the Sabbath, and they typically spend this day resting and enjoying fellowship with other believers, but they will not work or do errands on this day. Another distinctive belief for most Seventh-day Adventists is that hell, while usually seen as a never-ending torture, is not infinite in their belief set. They believe in what's called annihilationism, that after their final judgment, non-believers will instead be destroyed, total extinction. Adventists also put a huge emphasis on humanitarian work and education. In terms of service projects, there is an Adventist Development and Relief Agency that works in 125 countries and employs over 4,000 people. In terms of education, Adventists operate over 7,000 schools, including colleges and universities, with the largest being the Northern Caribbean University in Jamaica. Now, Adventist Christians sometimes share a similarity with another denomination that we're about to cover. The idea of celebrating holidays is a divisive one in the Adventist population, as some might choose to not celebrate holidays like Christmas or Easter, or even celebrate birthdays. Yet many do, so it's a divisive choice. The president of the church wrote a statement that it's up to each person to decide on their own. The church has no official stance either way. This is similar to what you may know or have heard about the Jehovah's Witnesses, often known for their lack of celebrating any holiday. This is a standard across their churches, that any sort of celebration is against God's will. Even Christmas is not celebrated, as God said to celebrate his death, not his birth. Birthdays are not celebrated, for it should be the spiritual birth that is acknowledged. Witnesses do not see themselves as the world, so they don't celebrate national holidays, and they do not glorify warfare in the military, so they don't celebrate holidays such as Memorial Day. This can be tricky to understand, especially for children, as they don't share in birthday or holiday festivities in the classroom. How the Jehovah's Witnesses worship is also a little different, as their churches are actually called Kingdom Halls. And typically, though not always, these halls don't have any windows and don't feature any crosses, so you may not even know that it's a place of worship. The answers for why the buildings don't have windows has a few prominent answers, but the most common is the expense and time of building a Kingdom Hall. Typically, these buildings are raised in just a few short days, so the luxury of adding windows is a burden on time. And why no crosses? Scripture says to not worship idols, which Jehovah's Witnesses see the cross as. It's a symbol, an idol, something other than God, so they choose to not use them. Like the Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses also believe that extinction is the fate of the non-believer. The core tenets of what Jehovah's Witnesses believe differentiates them from any other sect of Christianity. Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ is equal to God. They do not believe in the Trinity as is traditionally seen. Should Jesus be revered and respected? Yes. But worship should solely be placed on God, which is likely another factor in removing the cross. They believe that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and did indeed give his life to offer salvation, but they also trust Jesus when he said that the Father is greater than I, John 14, 28. So they focus their worship on God alone. 
Now that we're discussing denominations that diverge from traditional beliefs, it's time to cover what's called Christian science, or the Church of... Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I'll, I'll stop within two minutes of the end of the, uh, the documentary. The reason I stopped because I wanted you all to hear the familiar churches. Now, the next church denomination he was going to get into was the Christian Science Church. I'm not saying that you all don't know anything about that church, and maybe you all that's listening to me now is part of Christian Science. But uh, I believe the majority, this is my opinion, the, the majority of the denominations that was mentioned from Lutheran all the way down is more familiar worldwide. Why? Because those are the more older denominations. They started, you know, from a kickoff from Martin Luther, the Lutheran church. So those are more familiar churches. I think the latest more familiar churches is the Pentecostal, which you will call somewhat the youngest uh, denominational churches is the Pentecostal churches and then the charismatic churches. So that's why I start right there. I don't think many that's 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 a big gathering of Christian science church, which is not a Scientology a church like Tom Cruise and you know all them that's involved in it's a different thing, you know, between Christian science church and, and Scientology. Okay, you know, Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise and into to that Christian Scientology. So Christian science and Christian Scientology are not the same, you know. But I wanted you to hear the familiar denominations. There's many, many denominations. Why did I just name, let you hear those? Remember, those are the forefathers, I like to call them, allegorically, of the beginning of the denominations. I'm going here so you can understand the birth of the denominational church. Now, I'm not using the term Christian church. I have a issue of just using Christian because it's used loosely. I, I, I said that on a uh, quite a few previous podcasts. I do that for a reason. See, because predominantly there are predominantly these churches that's named, sadly to say, there's not many body of Christ believers in that church. And I'm going to tell you, explain why there's not many true church body believers in those denominational churches. This might bother some of you that's involved in some of those churches. But this is the this is the test and the challenge. And this is going to test the thickness of your skin listening to this 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 podcast. OK, because if you don't really want to learn what the Bible is really saying or let the Bible teach us what is the church, what is the body of Christ not so much Christian but what is the church the body of Christ don't listen to this podcast don't listen to this series because you will not accept it you will not accept it You know, you, it's hard to listen to something like this without being subjective without being uh, prejudging when I'm saying or something like that because that Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as Can be. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. It's the gentle warmth of the Northeast Florida sun and the whisper of an ocean breeze along 13 miles of quiet beaches. It's nature trails draped in stately oaks, restaurants with water views, and waterways where dolphins play. Experience Amelia Island's unique style of Southern charm. It's a real thing. It's an island thing. This season, make it your thing. Start planning your one-of-a-kind Florida beach escape now at AmeliaIsland.com. That's the power. It's a spiritual power or a spiritual stronghold of denominationalism and traditional and traditional church going. That's what I'm I'm, I'm trying to get here because myself and a lot of us was caught up in it, and it's hard to get out of it. Yes, myself as well, big time in the Church of God in Christ, which has come out of the family of the Pentecostal Church. Now, when it came to Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, not in that order, you know, uh, Episcopalian, those were the, the I would say, they, they was, those were, those churches or those denominations was branched off of different beliefs. Because remember, it started all with the, the grandfather of the so-called four-wall church the Catholic Church that came out of from the start of Constantine, the Roman Church, the Catholic Church. So a lot of churches branched off and got away and started their own little church and denomination because they was trying to get away from that Catholic belief, which had a stronghold with many believers or followers back then. See, so remember, the reason denominations start now, I'm not talking about so much beliefs because you had that back in the, in the thousands of years in the Bible times, but when it came to denominational breakouts, because remember, uh, the book of Acts, starting with Peter and the 11, Peter and the other 11, and then before transition to the teachings of the Apostle Paul, saved by grace alone, there was one church scattered out in different, you know, nations, of course, Gentile nations with Paul and then the Jewish nations with Peter and them. But they was all at one accord. It was just one church, one belief, one faith. That was a requirement, period. There was not many denominations. There was, was no play. See, God didn't play around them because that was under the law. So it was just one church. I, Listen closely to what I'm saying. It was just one church because many people always claim that they follow the Bible. Many ministers and pastors always claim that they follow the Bible. And this is your test to see do you really, you and I, do we really follow the Bible or are we in the correct church? Because church, all church means assembly. Are we in the correct assembly? Okay. Now, let me go back. What's unique about this breakdown? This is just a little short breakdown. Like I said, this documentary was just 23 minutes long. There's longer documentary that give you a whole history of Christianity. It's called the history of Christianity. And uh, it breaks down, you know, even before Martin Luther. See, it goes through everything, the beginning of the different Bibles, the English Bibles, you know, the Geneva, the big Bible, the different type of Bibles and stuff like that. The, uh, the Coverdale Bible before it gets to the King James, the King James Bible. So the history, I, I often say the history of Christianity is very important because God used men. He used body, body of Christ men in those days as well. Now. 
This is the tough part. Was Martin Luther, John Calvin, I think it was another person named Swigley, all these Coverdale and a lot of these, uh, uh, was there Tyndale, William Tyndale, which also uh, made the English Bible, different Bibles and stuff like that, different Bibles, were they part of the body of Christ? Were they really saved? That's the point. That, 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 that's the challenge right there. Were they really saved? See? Many theologians would say yes. I would somewhat say yes. I would not say all of them. All of them. You know, uh, when it comes to Martin Luther, according to this breakdown, what he was saying, Martin Luther never wanted to leave the Catholic Church, which is an error in itself. He never wanted to leave the denominational Catholic Church, but he just wanted to get out of their so-called indulgence, which means, you know, uh, the different beliefs that they had on and, and, and what they stood for when it came to bringing money in the church and making money. Because Catholic Church is known for their idols and different adultery and different things like that and pictures. You know, they didn't want to start making these pictures because back then the only way many people could learn the Bible is by the art in the Catholic Church for, for what I've learned and studied. It was their art that people learned what they learned about the Bible. Even these these different pictures of Christ uh, and, you know, pigmentations of Jesus and Mary and all this stuff. That's how majority of the people learned the Bible. Why? Because the Catholic Church did not allow them to read their Bible, which was the Latin Vulgate, the Latin Bible. You can only read it in the Bible, but they, they uh, stopped anybody from reading the Bible because they felt that they was God. That's when the Pope started getting created and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, a lot of people learn by looking. You can look this stuff yourself. I Please do this. Don't just listen, listen to me. Look this stuff up yourself. They got a lot of their learning from the artifacts of the Catholic Church because they was it was outlawed for them to just read the Bible, at least the Catholic Bible anyway. You know, the Latin Vulgate Bible, okay? So, remember this, first of all, in this series. If you don't remember anything else, but I hope you do, it's very important that you do. That's what you're going to get to understanding this obesity. Remember, denominationalism, tradition, was which started way, way thousands of years ago, traditions. That's how the majority of the denominationals or all the denominational churches was branched off because of their traditional belief that was started by some man. Mostly all men. You know, started by some man in their belief. Now, when you go back to Luther and different things like that, I'm not talking about the ones that made their own Bibles like Tyndale and, you know, and all of them and Coberdale and all, and all of them, if I'm pronouncing their name right. But the Protestant church started then. Remember, Protestant started, that's just a full name for protest. They protest against the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church's teachings and doctrine. That's where the name Protestant come from. And those churches he mentioned in this little documentary, you know, the Lutheran Church was the first. The Lutheran Church was the first denominational church that branched off from the Catholic Church the Lutheran Church. Then you had all those other churches. So it's one of the oldest denominational churches when it comes to denominational. I'm not talking about the uh, the uh, Catholic Church. I'm just talking about the 
Protestant church, not the Catholic church. They're not Protestant. The Protestant churches, the first one was Lutheran. That's very important for you to understand. The first one was for Lutheran. And then all the other ones uh, that you can look up yourself branched off, They, you know, from what their own type of belief, what they believe, what the, uh, the Bible is saying. So those churches branched off from there. Okay. But what you're going to learn and what I want you to see is if you are in one of those denominational churches, that's why I was saying, uh, go find out what your statement of faith is, because if you are Lutheran, you're on a Lutheran church, if you know, if you were in a Methodist church, a Pascopelian church or, you know, or, you know, those type of church, because a lot of those churches, just like that joke Robin Williams made, they still have a lot of Catholic ways in them, the way they do this, even the way the leaders dress. They still like the uh, Lutheran. The, the Methodist, the, they still have that, that kind of flavor of the Catholic Church in them, if you notice that. The other more sensational churches or the charismatic churches does not. What do I mean by the sensational churches and stuff like that? I'm talking about the Pentecostals, the Baptists, the, uh, the charismatics, the, the later, the, the more infant churches. You know, it, the change of the churches when it start getting to cessation because there's no, like he said, every Pentecostal church don't, you know, deal with tongues and you know and gifts and stuff like that. Not every Pentecostal church, not every Baptist church. So a difference. That's why it's such a broad, a broad, broad, broad spectrum. Of denominational beliefs because you might have Baptists that have many different type of Baptists. You have Pentecostals, many different type of Pentecostals, many different type of Methodists. You understand what I'm saying. But you have usually one Catholic church. The devil of them all. One Catholic church that started out the church of Rome under the Constantine. Not Constantine, I'm not saying he started it, but it just branched off out, out, of, out of Rome. It came from Rome. Okay. All right. Uh, I wanted you to, to hear that so you can know what a lot of teaching and what church you are in. Do you know your church's creed? Do you know why you go to your church? First of all, <clears throat> I don't mean this to put you down or nothing like that. I'm just saying, do you know why you go to your church building? Do you know what your church teach? The four wall church I'm talking about, the building. Do you know what your church teach? See, if you go to a denominational church and you've been going there for a long time, over 20 years, you ought to know what your church teach. You had a, you should have some type of knowledge of the statement of faith of your church. You should. I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of people don't, but you should have some type of knowledge of the statement of your faith in your church, whatever denominational church you was brought up in. That's very important for you to know that because this is the way you're going to learn if you are in line with sound doctrine of what God recommends for the body of Christ. For the body of Christ, see? And this might shock a lot of you and this might bother a lot of you and this a lot of you may agree not agree with this you know but I'm looking at it in a biblical perspective the best way I can God is not looking at a Christian church 
Let me say this again. God is not out there looking for a Christian church. He's out there looking at the body of Christ. Christ body. That's very important. If you, that's another thing you need to get out this this series I'm going to do. God focus is the body of Christ. Why? Because that is the church. That is the church. The body of Christ. The name Christian, which means Christ-like. See, many people call themselves Christian, but all self-claimed named Christians are not in the body of Christ. You understand that? Many people in many churches call themselves Christian. They've been doing that for over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Called themselves Christians. But not all so-called Christians are in the body of Christ. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? See, do you understand what I mean when I say that? Because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you are in the body of Christ, the church. You are Christian by name. You only Christian. Let me, let me rephrase that. You only Christian by name. Okay. So when you hear the history of these churches, remember. <clears throat> very important. Remember this. What's the best way I could say this? The world, America and the world, look at Christianity this way. And this is just a fact. They look at they look at Christianity in a denominational way. Not one church, because they think all denominations is one church. See? So when they when you hear Christendom, or you hear Christianity, or say they I'm a Christian, uh any I could I'm not, I'm not a betting man, but I bet any uh, one, whoever say they're a Christian and they go to a church, it's a denominational church. So the world looks at it, politicians look at it, entertainers look at it, the unsaved looked at it. Everybody look, you know, at the church, and a lot of the saved look at the church as uh, Christians first, not so much the body of Christ, which is the more important way to look at the church, the assembly, is the body of Christ. And if you notice, the majority of the churches, and a lot of churches don't use that term, new creature, and they don't use that term, the body of Christ, like we should, but they use Christian a lot, or born again. Or born again. See? And the four walls of the church. See, even the Catholic Church, but I'm talking about Protestant churches now, they use those terms, born again, Christian. They might use believer, yes, but they, the majority of the time is born again or Christian, not so much the body of Christ, very seldomly, very seldomly. I'm not saying they don't use it, but they use those uh, terms more than the body of Christ. Many churches put the body of Christ, if they don't use the body of Christ, they use kingdom believers or part of the kingdom. That's just a fact. They use those terms when it comes to the church. And it also depends what denomination you are in. See, that's very important and that depends what denomination you are in. You know. 
And if you research these things, what I'm talking about. And but first of all, research your your church, your church building. Research that and find out what's the doctrine of your church. Find out what is the salvation, which is the most important thing. You need to find out the salvation message. Why do I say that? Because a lot of you may not even be saved. I'm sorry to say that. That's scary. A lot of you may not even be saved. See? And God is giving you a chance to really understand how to be saved. See? Hell is broad. Heaven is going to be narrow. Hell is going to be broad with so-called saved people that never were saved. And they had the chance to hear the truth, but they still didn't accept it. See, a lot of things I'm going to be saying today is going to be on you then. So if you don't want to hear what I got to say about salvation, anything like that, you better, uh, you have a choice. Don't listen to me and uh, or listen to me and then you make that decision because what's on the line is your salvation. Why do I say that? Because you heard you're going to hear the real true way to be saved. So it's up to you. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to go there yet. So I'm going this route because this is very, very, very vital for the believers and people that's not believing listening to me. See, there is a possibility, a very big possibility that the salvation message is not being preached in your church. And I'm not saying on purpose. But it's a very big possibility the salvation, salvation, the true gospel, let me put it that way, is not being taught in your church. I'm not going to tell you what is it yet. Most of you know where I go if you listen to my show, okay? I'm just trying to give you a history of the churches first and then break down at the close to the end of this series, uh, each day that I do this, uh, what does this have to do with spiritual uh, obesity and why the church need to lose weight and the church need a diet? The church as the body of Christ, not the church building because the church building is full of unsaved people. They just need to be saved. This is uh, this is point, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out to the church, the body of Christ, not the name Christian so much, you know. But it's okay. I'm not saying don't use that name, but I want you to focus on the new creature. I want you to f- focus on the body of Christ more than just saying I'm a Christian. Because many, 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 many thousand people always say they're a Christian. You can't be, you can be, you call yourself a Christian, but that don't mean you're in the body of Christ. See, if you go call yourself a Christian, make sure you're in the body of Christ. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life Oil Filter for only $36.99. Get in zone.
What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. Restrictions apply. You understand what I'm saying? So that's very important. Going further in this series, you're going to under, I'm going to have you to research your own belief, your own somewhat doctrine, especially if you are in a church, a denominational church or independent church. See, oh, independent church, independent church, independent churches just mean you're just not under no kind of governing denomination. That's all. You're more freer and uh, then denominational churches so many people and many denominations go to an independent church because they title their church denominationalism so they go to a non-denominational church because they feel more freer that doesn't mean that's the right church because even check this out even non-independent denominational church even though they call themselves independent they still sound and feel like a denomination on the long run especially if they are charismatic or assemblies of God or whatever if you call yourself independent the church of Christ calls themselves independent but they still move in the denominational way see my way or no way now the term Calvinist Calvinists is in a lot of different churches, their beliefs. Calvinists' belief are in Presbyterian churches, Episcopal churches. There's also in Charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches, the Calvinist belief. So Calvinists just don't stand out as a denomination in itself. It's just a belief mechanism and a belief the way our Calvinists believe are in all Mostly a lot of predominantly of uh, a lot of, of the churches, charismatic and other Protestant churches that Calvinist belief. See, they talked about the tulip. I'm not going to get into all of that and everything about the Calvinist belief, because that's the big beliefs in a lot of these different denominations, the Calvinist belief, because many people. Now, now I'm, I'm, if you're listening to me, do you believe you can lose your salvation? If you are listening to me, do you believe you can lose your salvation? Be honest with yourself. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe that God chose certain ones to be saved, to go to hell, and chose certain ones to go to hell? The, pre, the so-called Calvinist predestined belief. Do you believe that in your church or in your belief, whether you go to a church or whether you listen to a minister on television, tele-evangelist, uh, tele do you believe in predestined as God or, you know, preordained some to go to heaven and preordained some to go to hell? See? Do you believe in confessing or you have to uh, make Jesus Lord of your life and you have to walk in a certain way to stay saved, let alone be saved, stay saved. And my point is, if you believe any other those beliefs and you you are uh, following a Calvinist doctrine. OK, you're following a Calvinist 
doctrine. Losing your salvation, believe God chose certain one, believe you had to do certain things to be saved and to stay saved. You have that kind of Calvinist flavor. You have that kind of Church of Christ flavor in you. That doctrine is in you. That, 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 that doctrine floats in a lot of Protestant churches, that belief. Many churches, maybe the majority of the churches, I believe, believe that you can lose your salvation. That's a Calvinist belief. See? What other belief is that that's also uh, a kingdom belief? An apostolic belief? See? The kingdom program, the 12 apostles in the kingdom program under the law. See, a lot of those beliefs that you are believing, you have to understand to believe that you're going to lose your salvation or you can lose your salvation or you got to keep doing this to please God. That's like it's like putting yourself under the uh, the uh, the Jewish law, because that belief is really birthed out of the covenant law because it's a conditional. It's certain things you have to do. And I'm going to talk about that later on down the line. If that was the case, all of us are going to hell. Because never, uh, never, there's not one, no, not one, that can please God by what we do. See, well, I'm going to get to that later. Okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. See, so what I want you to understand, the belief system, the doctrine, is the most important thing in your church after salvation. The doctrine is the most important. Doctrine means what's been taught in your church is the most important thing in your four wall church after salvation. Why do I say after salvation? Because salv ain't no sense. I don't care what doctrine you're listening to. If you ain't saved, you still messed up. You know, you're going to hell. So after salvation, what's been taught in your church is the next important thing. Why? Because that will help you grow. See? Salvation first and then the knowledge of the truth according to Second Timothy 2 and 4. The knowledge of the truth comes after salvation. So salvation is uno numero, number one, numero uno, number one, and then your doctrine in your church. You can be saved and still a baby in doctrine. That's Paul proved that in his letters in the Corinthian church and elsewhere. That they were saved, but they was babies. They were still carnal. They was going to heaven, but they were still carnal. So a lot of your ch the, uh, the churches that you're in, you are carnal if you're not getting sound doctrine. Therefore, you're not growing. You might feel good. You might do a lot of things, feeding people. You might be out there witnesses. But in God's eyes, you're not pleasing him. You're not growing. Spiritually, you're not. You are self-fruiting yourself. There are self-fruits that you made in yourself. It's not the fruits from the spirit. You're not growing. You are saved now, but you're not growing. You, you understand what I'm saying? So that's why I said, if you're not getting sound doctrine after salvation in your church, you are not growing. Spiritually, I'm talking about. It's mostly flesh and feel-good things. I told you this was going to be a, 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 a teaching or a show that might bother you. Because it's, it's going to be contrary to what you've been taught in your church or from TV evangelists or whatever. It's going to be different because my challenge for not only you, but myself, my challenge 
is for you to search the scriptures, to study thyself, approve a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2 and 15. That's our duty to know what our so-called buildings is teaching because if you choose to be in a church building and you are saved and that's another question do you know you're saved just say you are saved how could you be sure that your pastor or your leaders are teaching you sound doctrine the correct doctrine what God wants you to learn today see there's many doctrines in the Bible and the whole Bible is true the whole Bible is for us but the whole Bible the whole Bible is not to us see the whole Bible is for us but the whole Bible is not to us God is not speaking to everybody at the same way same time and telling everybody to do the same thing most of you know that but the majority of you don't because of the doctrine you have been taught in your four wall church denomination see now that just look that's just now you're going to understand the buildup of gaining weight the wrong type of weight obesity see just like you slowly but surely Depends how long you've been in that denomination. Slowly but surely, physically, when I talked about that, how uh, certain bad carbohydrates and stuff is the problem of the weight, not the protein. Remember I told you when I was talking about the high-protein, low-carb diet? Look at it in an allegorically spiritual way. See, high-protein is not the issue. It's the carbohydrates, especially the bad carbohydrates. Now, let's go back and put it in a spiritual sense, allegorically, and the church. The high protein, which is the sound doctrine, is not the issue. See, it's the bad carbohydrates that's the issue. It's all that other traditional uh old gospel and man-made traditions that's making you pick up weight spiritually. I hope you know where I'm going with this now. See? You just just put that physical and that spiritual together on the two diets I'm talking about. The physical diet and the spiritual diet. Look, let's, let's look at the spiritual diet now. The same format. It's a lot of wrong doctrine era in the church buildings denominational that has us spiritually overweight and unhealthy so we are not growing and some of us dying we will go to heaven as a believer but we will die weak and we cannot be useful for God because of the wrong doctrine we have on us we have too much weight we can't bend down and tie our shoes spiritually we can't, we can't jog spiritually. We can't not even focus. We got bad eyes uh, spiritually. Spiritual diabetes and all that because of wrong doctrine. See, that's very important. That's, that's very important. And many churches are caught up, beat up, 
they look bad. Some people getting beat up just like uh, like how I ain't gonna say. Yeah, uh, did anybody check out that fight between Terrence Crawford and uh, Errol Spencer Jr.? And I don't know too much about any of them. I just glanced at both of them, and you know, and I just I was checking both of them out, even how they train and how they practice. And I was looking at form and movement and stuff like that because I believe that's very important, you know, in boxing. Because I like boxing. I do like boxing. I like basketball and I like football. And I was looking at their move. And I noticed, even though I wanted Spence to win, I don't know why, but I just, I just, okay, if I choose when I choose Errol Spence. Because uh, I know more about him than Crawford. Not because I thought he was better. I just choose Errol Spence Jr. But I, I noticed when they was hitting the punching bag, I was looking at their movements. And I noticed, when I looked at uh, Spence, Spence was mostly uh, settled in a standstill type of punching. He didn't have much movement. He had strong punches, and but his, his punches was strong, but not slow. I mean, not fast. They was, they was uh, he was punching the bag, but his lateral movement and his body movement, what you are trained or supposed to be trained by your uh, your coach, how to move your body and head movement and stuff like that in defensive mechanism. You know, he was just like a, a, a basic standstill, standing in one place area, punching that bag, not much movement. But then when it moved to Crawford, Crawford was all around the bag more. He was using a body movement. He had good leg movement. And sometimes I said, man. Crawford looks a little more better in his training than Errol Spence. His leg movement, his body moving, and stuff like that. I didn't. I was looking at that, then all of a sudden I was kind of. I had Spence winning, but in my mind, I was saying, "Man, I don't know if Spence going to win because, according." And then I started looking at their past fights, and uh, I was still going for Spence. And I was looking at their past fights, and I was looking how, uh, looking at Errol Spence, he looked good, you know, but I didn't like his defense, and I didn't like a lot of his movement, but he had, like, he had some a good reach and stuff like that when he was knocking people out. Then I looked at Crawford, Crawford just looked at more faster, and Crawford looked at more focused. Than Spence, it seemed like Spence was swinging a lot, but Crawford, Crawford, when they showed Crawford, Crawford was very timing and he was very focused when to swing or not to swing. So he was more like the old boxers, like Leonard and Hackler and all them Durant. They knew when to swing and punch. They just wasn't swinging. You know, that's the difference I've seen. And that little bit I've seen, you know, I was kind of going the other way. I didn't know if Spence was going to win. See. And it turned out he got dominated. Just that right there. And I say, I, I can see. Well, Spence, yeah, he, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. See, many people say it might be the training. It could be all of that. They trying to see drugs. They, you know, like they done the Pacquiao Mayweather. But they was they say it could be a lot of things, you know, whatever. But what it looked like to me, it just seemed like uh, Crawford was the better fighter. He had more lateral movement. He had better time. He looked more confident, you know. Than Spence, he just looked like the better boxer, and you got that mix sometimes. Some fighters is just better than others. See, when it comes to that, you know they just you just can't beat that type of fight. You might be. Uh, it was just like uh, Shane Mosley had a way of beating Oscar De La Hoya, but I forgot the other name. The other guy that got killed 
in real life. But when he went up with this other guy, he just didn't match up well with him. So it had to do with matching. But my point is, Crawford looked at more trained and focused and movement body-wise. In the spiritual sense, like to look at the church. It's the same way the church. We must focus. We must find the right doctrine. We must have the right movement. We must have the right focus. We just can't grab different scriptures in the Bible and put it and add it to our walk. You must know what verses and what scriptures and what book is for you. But you grow learning the other things in the word of God. But what's basically for you you need to master that. We need to master that. See, because the whole Bible go together. But what's for you now, the sound doctrine for today, that's what we need to focus more on. That's what God is looking for us to focus more on, the doctrine for us today. And I'm going to get into that later. I'm not going to get into now what doctrine, because I have lots of more traditional reasons why the church is overweight spiritual number stop right there okay body of christ real talk this is joseph brownlee body of christ real talk salvation is today the way to be saved is believing in the death burial resurrection of jesus christ that's the only way to be saved today that is the gospel of salvation if you believe that according to first corinthians 15 1 to 4 you are saved by grace see you can also go to uh ephesians 2 and 8 you are saved by grace you are saved by faith alone that was one thing martin luther was very correct about but as he went further, he went further to the left and he started teaching the same things like Calvinists and all that and everything. So that's the issue of Martin Luther. He just started getting away from the other teachings of sound doctrine, which is the Apostle Paul's teaching. OK, and I'm getting to all that and everything because he did get led astray by the enemy, or whatever, everything like that. A lot of this stuff was there by Satan anyway. That's why you got many denominations anyway. So Satan is the, he's the corporate king of all this confusion. See, so God is not of confusion. Only Satan confuses that because he don't know, he don't want you to know the real gospel. And I'm going to tell you what the real gospel going through this series is. And you may be surprised. Some will, some won't. Okay. God bless you. Love y'all. Body of Christ. Real talk. Love y'all. I remember I'm going to leave you with this, as I often say. You do not have to be saved first to be forgiven. You have already been forgiven. Now you have a chance to be saved. Wait till I start talking about forgiveness. And I might let you listen to uh, uh, an audio by one of my teachers, favorite teachers on that subject, Trey Searcy of Truth Time Radio. So I hope you enjoyed this because this, let's have some fun. Let's learn the Bible and find out what is the gospel for the church today. God bless you. I love y'all. Peace out. Bye-bye. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.